be here. Um, I am Jess. I am now a Calgarian. And how I know that is that this winter, we bought a Ford F-150. And um, so that, I know, boo, yes, it's not a Chevy. Is that why you're booing me? Yeah, sorry. But I do know that I am now not from the center of the universe. This is the center of my universe. Uh, I say to everybody that I meet, I apologize for being from Toronto. I know it's offensive to many people. Um, I am glad to be in Calgary, though, for a lot of reasons. This is a wonderful city, but I, but I believe God is doing something special in this city at this time. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus said the fields are white under harvest and that he wasn't lying when he said that. He wasn't making it up. He wasn't saying, like, only here in Jerusalem. He was stating a prophetic word that was true then and is true now. And so uh, we believe that uh, we're here from an assignment from the Lord uh, to see many people in Calgary come to know him. Um, my husband, before I fell asleep last night, said, make sure you tell the people at Northwest Family Church that he says hello and he's excited to be with you on June 24th. Um, on the 24th, as your awesome Pastor Roy was telling you, we're doing a block party and we'd love it if you'd come and be part of that. We have bouncy castles and food trucks and there might even be a dunk tank that one of us may be in. It's going to be really fun and we just think it's a great way to make uh, build relationships with people in our community who maybe wouldn't come to church, but they'll sure come and let their kids jump on a bouncy castle and buy a hot dog from a food truck. And so we're really excited about that. And we just really uh, invite you to come to that. It's going to be a great time together. Um, Today, I I want to share with you a little bit from the Word of God. And I also want to share with you a little bit of my story. I know that when we're getting to know each other as friends, it's really important that we know each other's story. It's one of the most important things. Your story is one of the most important things about you. And your story is important. And so uh, today, I kind of want to share a little bit of my own um, journey. And my hope this morning is that you would know that God stands with you. However you came in this morning, whatever you came in with, I'm believing that, um, that each one of us is going to leave knowing, not just knowing here, but knowing here that God stands with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Today, uh, the subtitle, or the title of my message is How to Survive the Worst Moments of Your Life. Very encouraging. Uh, and I, I think First Samuel chapter 30 gives us a really good outline on how to do this. So I'm going to speak uh, part one of this message. And then when Dave comes in a couple of weeks, he's going to speak part two. Because um, you don't want me to preach for an hour and a half. so Or even an hour at that. Um, it doesn't, at least for me, it doesn't take very long to figure out uh, what the worst moments of my life have been. And if you've been alive for more than ten minutes you've probably had some of those moments yourself. Um, all of us, part of the human condition is that we have sun shine on us and there's rain that falls on us. That is uh, both a biblical, that's a biblical truth and it's just a human truth too. Um, I grew up in a family of four siblings and um, we were really close. My family's really close. We um, did all kinds of things together. My brother and I, when we got to young adult age, we had an apartment in my parents' basement, which is really a millennial dream come true, if you think about this. Some of you are still enjoying that dream, and you're in your 30s now. Congratulations. You are living the millennial dream. But I, I, my brother and I are living together in our basement. We, we loved hanging out together. We talked to the wee morning hours, and my brother was maybe the funniest person alive, and I at least like to laugh at jokes. So he would tell me jokes all night long and I'd laugh my face off and 
we're really close, suffice to say. Um, but one day, um, we both went to work, and I had, I, I had got my first real job with first real paychecks. And my brother had, like, kind of like a sideways job. It was paying some bills for him. So we both went to work that morning. I said, see you later, Dave. See you tonight. And he said, see you later. And while at work, I got a call that my brother had been catastrophically injured in a workplace accident. And if you've ever had something like that happen to you, you know how it feels, like the air has been sucked out of the room, and it feels like the air is spinning, and you feel like you can't get your breath. And I'll never forget that moment. And I remember thinking, how am I going to get through this? My brother um, lived for six days, and we prayed that God would heal him. And I, listen, I'm a person that believes in the miracle working power of prayer. I believe that God heals. I believe that he raises people from the dead. I believe that blind eyes can be opened, and I believe that deaf ears can be healed. But I don't understand, and I probably won't understand until we get to heaven, why we prayed for my brother for six days. People came from all over the world to pray for him and why he didn't live. And I would get in my car and driving home and thinking, I can't make sense of any of this can't make sense of it. And um, I would sit in my basement for days after this and uh, wonder where God was. By the way, this is just an aside. God is not afraid of your questions and he's not afraid of your emotions. The scripture tells us that we are more than conquerors, yes? But the truth is when we face circumstances like this, it's a really hard truth to speak. And the overarching story of the Bible is not they came to Jesus and then everything was perfect. The overarching st- story of the Bible is more like they came to Jesus and then all hell broke loose. If you look at the scripture, that is what is happening. And I would like to paint it in another picture for you, but I would be lying to you. The amazing thing about the Chronicles of Scripture is that disappointment, though, is never the end of the story. We live in the now, but not yet. Not for those who believe in God. And so uh, today I want to share with you a Scripture that, um, that breathed life into me in that season of my life. And maybe you're going through a season like that right now. Maybe you came to church and you thought, well, I'll get here, but I don't... And I'll put on my fancy church face because... <laughs> Because we're all really good at that. It, like if you become a Christian five minutes later, you're really good at the church face. Here's the church face. You come in. You, you're, if you have children, you'll know this. Sunday morning, I don't know what is in the water on Sunday mornings. It's like nobody can get out of bed. Nobody can find anything to wear. All the socks have been lost. Underwear is nowhere to be found. I got kids with rats. And, and anyways, and you're, you're, it's a fight to get here. And then you get here. You can be yelling and having World War 17 in the car like, wah, 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 wah. not you, just me. So, and then you get here, but as soon as you open that car door, bless God, how are you? I'm wonderful. Praise the Lord. It's really been a good week. God's been really doing some special things in our lives. And the glory of God and the Shekinah glory is coming down on us right now. And hallelujah. So, so maybe you had a little bit of that, so you, you think that you're tricking nobody. The thing is, the great thing is about church, we can just decide we're going to take off our masks and decide that there are some terrible no-good days. 
And if you're not having a terrible good, no good day, I'm the bearer of good news to tell you that you will have some terrible no good days. And the question is not whether we're going to face hard times. The question is how are we going to face those hard times? How are we going to walk through them? So 1 Samuel chapter 30 helped me, and I, I hope it will help you as well. Uh, here, here we go. We'll start at uh, verse number uh, 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and the Ziklag. And Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken, captain the, had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam and Jezreel and Ab- Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And two weeks from now, when Dave comes, he's going to read the rest of this chapter. But I I think after reading this story, we can safely assume this was one of David's worst days. Uh, It's not... I I think sometimes we read the Bible sort of... um, we read it like a Cinderella fairy tale and we forget that this is real life and this really happened to somebody. So you can imagine that David leaves his wives and goes out on, on a raid and comes back and all of his wives and everything he ever owned was burnt to the ground. Or for a moment, think about that. You go to work one morning, you get in your car, you get in your truck and you come back and your house is burnt to the ground and everybody is gone. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I, I would think at that moment that David's thinking, this is not a really good day. It's not like one of my faves. I'm not putting a golden star on it. This is a hard day. And for David, really, Ziklag, uh, being in Ziklag is not that awesome. Historians tell us that this probably happened around 1029 BC. David was probably around 29 years old, so a young man. But he was a young man who'd lived a lot of life because when he was 15, about 15, the prophet Samuel had come and anointed him to be king over Israel. And when you're 15 and someone tells you you're going to be king, you assume that's going to be like tomorrow. And then he goes on to kill Goliath. So, of course, that's going to be like he's definitely going to be king tomorrow. And then the royal family brings him in and that's like, you're getting pretty close to that throne, so it sounds amazing. But then things sort of take a turn for the worse, right? Because then the king's trying to kill him because he becomes jealous of him. And so David is exiled to the, to the outskirts, and he's got this band of mighty men who were really kind of like glorified thugs. And he's hanging out with them in a place called Ziklag. You see, all of us, though, have a Ziklag somewhere between our prophecy and our destiny. Somewhere between what the promise of God said about you and where you're living right now. Because Ziklag wasn't Bethlehem. It wasn't the place of like excitement. Oh, this is all going to happen now. And it certainly wasn't Jerusalem where he was king. I'm sure there were many nights that he laid his head on the pillow and thought, I don't think this is ever going to happen. 
because I was about 15 when I was anointed, and now I'm almost 30, and nothing has happened. In fact, things have gone from good to worse. Maybe some of you are in a ziklag right now. Maybe some of you feel like you're between your prophecy and your destiny. Like, God, I felt like when I was 18 or 17 or 21 or 25, like you said this about me, and now I feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere. And that, not only that, is he not just stuck living in Ziklag? All hell breaks loose in Ziklag. His place is burned to the ground. His children are stolen. His wives are gone. It doesn't mean that God brought the Amalekites. I, I want you to see this right now. So, so David finds himself in Ziklag, and it's a nightmare. That's not to say that God brought the Amalekites, but God will use them. And being victorious for us as Christians doesn't mean that we'll never face an enemy. It means that we'll triumph over our enemies. In facing and triumphing over great trials of life, we learn what it means to overcome the world and to live as more than a conqueror. You can't be a conqueror if you never have to overcome an enemy. You never have trials. You're you're not a conqueror. You're a sleeper. You're on the lazy river. And so the great thing is, every time we get a trial, we think this is an opportunity for me to be an overcomer. If you're facing a trial right now, great. There's an opportunity for you to get muscles and to become a conqueror. So I want to look just for a few minutes at what David did at Ziklag. The first thing he did is weep. As David stood among the smoldering ruins of what would have been his home, the text tells us that he wept. And what do you do when trouble knocks the wind out of you? You weep. Stoicism has nothing to do with faith. And I think sometimes, especially in charismatic circles, we have this idea that if we weep and that if we mourn, that somehow we've lost faith. And some of us, for a long time, uh, keep a stiff upper lip because somehow that makes us more strong or more spiritual. It's okay to weep. The text says that he wept till he could weep no more. You think, well, my kids are not gone and my house didn't burn to the ground. But But sometimes uh, grief is relative, right, to whatever you're facing. I I, want to call Christians everywhere to be a people that are not afraid of our emotions. God gave them to you. He gave you that spirit uh, of crying and grief for a reason. And it's sad to see people that have gone all the way through life and have had hurt and pain. But they've never allowed themselves to grieve. Statistics tell us that one in four women will be sexually abused by the time that they are adults. And sometimes we don't allow people to grieve that kind of pain. I want to call the church to not wait till the world tells us to do that square our shoulders back and say, in Jesus' name, we can lead the way this way. Maybe you're here and you, uh, if you're honest, you're a bottle or up kind of person. Now, I can relate. I don't, I don't really like to be emotional. I'm not a highly emotive person. Uh, I don't really like to cry in public. But, you know, a few years ago, the Lord just began to work on this in my life, saying to me, if you don't grieve over certain areas of your life, you'll never get past them. Never get past them. 
This passage reminds us that David and his men, men who would have been strong, they wept. They wept till they could weep no more. You can't ever worship God, and I would say this without hesitation, you, you can't really worship God without your emotions. God gave you emotions to, to worship him in spirit, soul, and body, every part of us. David, he was emotional. Um, the Bible says that there is a time to weep, and that can't be denied. And it would be added cruelty to deny yourself and others tears in times of tragedy or deep personal pain. I want to set a caveat out here, though, because how many know for every bit of truth, there's two sides of ditch? <laughs> uh, this is probably one of my favorite sayings in life because I just think it's true about everything. So there is a time to weep. And uh, you've heard me say, if you haven't wept over, over pain in your past, you need to ask the Lord to break open those parts of your life so that you're able to. But the side of ditch that some of us get in is, um, is what I lovingly describe as the fetal position weeping and that's where we take on weeping as a lifestyle so like uh, do you know that it's sometimes easy to go from being sad to being victim yes so this was if i i won't play your guitar because it'll be sad but i sat i sat in my basement for a number of months and i would um rarely brush my hair uh I, i brushed my teeth thank god for all of us i did that's why i have three left I would sit in my basement after my brother died and I'd play my guitar and I only knew, Julie knows this, I knew uh, Humble Thyself in the Sight of the Lord. How many remember that song? It's a very scary song because it starts with E minor, D, E minor, D. Humble thyself in the sight. It's, it's kind of, it's not scary. It's just minor. I played it over and over and over again just because it sounded sad. And my, uh, my mom came down my base, to the basement one day and she said, get dressed, get Get that guitar. You are never going to become a guitar player. Some people have to speak truth to you. It's true. Get that guitar out of your hand. Go wash up. You need to get out of the house. And I reluctantly did. Now, I'm a big 20-something-year-old woman. Having my mom having to tell me what to do is somewhat humbling. I get dressed, and I... And... um, I went out and I started reading the word and I came to that scripture in Psalm 23. And I thought, well, this is a good scripture for my heart to be healed on, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters, restores my soul, and I'm feeling blessed. And then we get to this scripture that says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I paused there. And I felt the Holy Spirit say this, Jess, you haven't walked through the valley of the shadow of death. You've pitched a tent in the shadow of the valley of death. And you haven't just walked with you just, just You've gone to home sense and decorated your tent in the valley of the shadow of death. You've put in cushions and you put in yourself a whole wicker set that cost $2,000. You've got fancy pillows in there and you put those little fairy lights up in there and you said, well, it's just where I am. For every bit of truth, there's two sides of ditch. Some of us are stuck on one side of ditch because we haven't allowed ourselves to grieve and to mourn. And then others of us need to hear the word, the Lord saying, all right, get going. You need to start walking. And I didn't, I want to tell you right now, I did not feel like walking. I did not feel like breathing. I wasn't even sure that I felt like living. 
But I, I, I had this very clear picture that I was to take down the tent that I had pitched. I didn't know where I was going. I put one foot in front of the other. Some pastor said to me, uh, maybe you should come work at the church for 10 hours a week. And I said, well, you know that I just like humbled myself in the sight of the Lord in my basement for like eight hours a day. I don't know that I'm going to be a spiritual strength to anybody. He said, you need to come anyway. So 10 hours a week, I went to work in this, in this church. And I didn't know what to do. He's like, get out to the high schools. So I said, fine, I'll go. And I was hoping none of them would take me, but all of them took me. And um, I'd go into the high school and just sit at the cafeteria and order greasy pizza. And I am not kidding you. God just began to do something miraculous. Kids used to come down and sit beside me and say, hey, listen, I heard that you were like a Christian person. Could you tell me about God? And we saw 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 kids, 60 kids, 70 kids coming to Jesus. Not because I was awesome, but because he's, listen, in your brokenness, God can breathe on you and work through you. If you'll take that tent, just take the tent down. Some of you right now know exactly what I'm talking about. You've built a tent. You've built a tent and God says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It will never be the ways that we comfort ourselves. It will always be his spirit. Now, just as a personal point of reference, I always say this to people when I'm telling this truth. You may be right now thinking to yourself, after the service, I'm really going to go have a prophetic word for somebody to take their tent down. And I'm going to recommend that you don't do that. Uh, uh, Partly because this is very personal. People have got to get a revelation from God on this on their own. So listen, if you're here and you're thinking, I'm going to really suggest that somebody listen to this tape and I'm going to tell them that they need to take their tent down because they're stuck. Maybe you should just pray for them in your heart. Okay? Is that good pastoral work there? Just don't have a prophetic word for someone to take their tent down. That's hurtful. Here's the second thing that David did. So he wept. The second thing he did is he he didn't get bitter. So David and his men, um, we can see in scripture that his men got so mad at him that they were going to kill him. And it's easy to play the blame game when things go wrong. Yes? We all know this. When things go wrong, because who wants to say, oh, it's my fault, it's my fault, I'm going to take responsibility. It's easy to say somebody else's fault that it was. But on the worst day of your life, you cannot afford to get bitter. Don't let seeds of bitterness grow in your heart. It will prevent you from doing all the things that that God wants for you. So my brother was killed in this accident. And it was family friends who he was working for. And they hadn't put a $200 lockout system on the mixer he was working in. Every part of me wanted to be angry. Every single part of me. I remember the Lord saying to me, you, you can't afford to get bitter because I've got more, more things for you. And at this point, I'm playing three cards in my basement. So, like what, a fourth chord, Lord? You have a fourth chord for me? And uh, I, I recognized at that moment that I had a choice. I could get bitter or I could just allow the Lord to work through the situation. And very difficultly, I had to go to these people and 
Just say, listen, we forgive you. We love you. Can I tell you the little thing? I didn't feel like it. Like when I was doing it, I didn't feel like lighthearted about this. I wasn't, I was kind of saying it with gritted teeth. I forgive you. Love you. Bless you. Hard. That's why we're not led by our emotions, but we're led by the Spirit of God. You know, and since that time, the Lord has opened up um, many doors for our family to speak about the social justice issue all across North America, in fact, all across the world. This year, we'll speak about 200 times to different people. Uh, We received the Governor General's Award uh, last year for our work in this area. And, I mean, I don't say that to uh, say, look at me, I'm fancy. I say that to say, uh, the Lord did that through brokenness. Maybe you're here right now, and you're walking through a really hard time. I am proof today that if you'll allow the Lord to work through you, not allow yourself to get bitter, that he can use it every single time. You see, David's, um, David really had a chance to get bitter here. I, I think sometimes, like, okay, so imagine you've lost your house and all the things in it. You've lost your children and your wives. And then your friends, who are supposed to be your friends, are saying, I think we're going to kill you right now. We're actually going to stone you. I think we just read it and go, yeah, 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 but he gets everything back. And His friends were going to kill him. Now, if my friends are going to try to kill me over something, I, I no, that's it. We're, we're done here. But David doesn't respond that way. Instead, he responds with the third thing that I think we need to do, and this is where we're going to end this morning. He responds by worshiping. Now, in the natural realm, this is a very bizarre thing to do. People are, you've lost everything. People are talking about killing you. And David says, Abathar, bring me the linen ephod. Now, there was no fancy church building. There was no beautiful padded seats. There was just ashes and dirt and tears. And he gets the linen ephod and he begins to worship. And I, I've wondered what David, how David worshipped at that moment. And I wonder if maybe he went to Psalm 34, which he had written a number of years before, that says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my tears. I think somewhere in there, David was saying, in the good times and the bad times, I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to call on the Lord. I'm I'm not just going to be a fair weather kind of uh, worshiper. I'm going to be a worshiper that worships in the hard times, in the good times and the bad times. My husband and I pastored a church that was um, predominantly filled with uh, our friends from Nigeria. Do we have any Nigerians in the house this morning? Yes, yes, I see those hands. So my Niger- and I always say this to my, if you're in trouble, you want Nigerians praying for you. It's just a thing. My, my Nigerian friends would say to me, they would say, they would say, Jessica, when I'd be getting on about something, they'd say, when you make 
and I'm the worst at accents, so you can make fun of me here. When you make God bigger, you make your problems smaller. And I, at first, like, that sounded, all right. And then they'd get right in my face. When you make God bigger, you make your problems smaller. Okay. And they'd get right in my face. And I, I want to get right in your face today and say, when you make God bigger, you make your problems small. The way to make God bigger is to magnify him. That doesn't make him bigger. It makes him bigger in your eyes. You see, in many of our eyes, God has gotten really small. Like he's just some side little side, I don't know, hour. You hope that it's an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. I'm telling you that the church's job in this day is to make God bigger. We do that by magnifying him and by praising him. This is not a 1980 special song. This, this, is a, this is a reality. When we make God bigger, we make our problems smaller. See, when David began to worship, he began to, the picture of God began to grow inside his heart. When everything is lost, the best thing for us to do is to begin to worship. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but it is the best. Encouraging ourselves in the Lord is how we go about recovering our joy. On the worst moments of your life, you, you've got to be asking this question, God, I, I need to recover my joy. You recover your joy by worshiping. This is why recovering your joy is so important, though, because the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When we lose joy, we lose strength. So guess what? We have an enemy and the number one thing he's coming for is what? Your joy. Because if he can get your joy, he can get your strength. And if he can get your strength, he can get you to lay down in the fetal position and stay there forever. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The way we're going to recover our joy is to become a worshiping people, a worshiping church. It's interesting that James, the first pastor, said it this. He said, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Such a weird verse. I, I mean, I'd read that and think, well, he didn't really mean it. It must just be a bad translation or something. But when I took Greek, I realized this, that that word count, count it all joy, it, it's an accounting term. All the accountants in the house. All the good Gwen, I see that hand. Uh, okay, yes, yes. Okay, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an accounting word. It's the word hegomai. And it, what James is saying is, when you have a trial, put it in the ledger, in the column of the ledger of joy. Well, that's weird. You stub your toe, put it in joy. Something, you lose your job. Put it in the ledger of joy. Counts as an asset. But it makes sense when you go on. Because hegomai is also, uh, uh, it's also a term of governing. It means to govern oneself. When we count it all joy, what we're basically saying is, I'm going to govern myself so that no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to protect my joy. I, I'm going to ask God to help me protect my joy. I'm going to govern and exercise my emotions in such a way that I don't let it uh, become a negative thing. So it means to rule or to exercise authority. We have the, we have the option 
as children of God, to exercise, to exercise our authority as believers and say, nah, devil, not today, not today. And even in the hardest of times, when I got a hold of this in my life, I can remember getting up sometimes in the morning and saying, nah, devil, not today, not today. I'm going to be full of joy. I'm going to be full of joy even in the middle of pain. And it is amazing that that can happen and how it brings you other victories. You see, we're not interested in a counterfeit faith that's nothing more than naive optimism. I'm not interested in that at all. But what we want is a fire-refined faith that has been proven in the tests of life. The passage in James chapter 1 goes on to say that the testing of our faith produces patience. And the Greek word for patience here is the word hupomi, and it means cheerful consistency. This idea that we can have consistency in the middle of life. Listen, that's what the world's looking for. Ups and downs. I mean, we're Calgarians, right? So we're a boom and bust city. Got ups and downs. And sometimes you're making a lot of money. And sometimes you're making none. But especially here, people are looking for people that have cheerful consistency. And this is what happens when we begin to worship God. This is what happens when we begin to say, God, be magnified in my eyes. I'm going to ask this, the worship team to come back. I just believe today that God wants to reveal himself in a new way to all of us. I believe that his presence is here and that it's not by accident that we're gathered here together. Maybe you're here and you're uh, going through a difficult time. Maybe you would say, Jess, I'm, I can relate to this because I feel like I'm in one of the worst moments of my life. Maybe you've been in one of the worst seasons of your life and it feels like Maybe for some of you that the season has gone on for a decade or more. Today, I, I want to call you um, to begin to allow the Lord to work in those moments. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't wept. You just um, remain stoic. I, I want to call you to allow the Lord to break open that part of your life. I know for some of us that's worrisome. We first, uh, we were pastoring a number of years ago and a lady came to our church. She thought we were a tarot uh, reading convention. And uh, she came in the back and she said to me, I, she, she found Jesus, but she said, I can never come for the worship. I said, why? Is it too loud, too wild? She said, no, as soon as I get in there, I just start crying like a baby and I can't stop it. And I haven't cried in 20 years. And every time I come, every Sunday morning, she said, like, I, I have to get, like, makeup that. And she said, I don't, I don't like the feeling of it. I don't understand it. Maybe some of you need a bit of a season like that where you just say, God, I'm open to you working in my emotions. Others of you here, maybe you can relate to the, uh, you built a tent. And you furnished that tent. And this morning, God wants you to begin to dismantle that tent. I'm going to pray that God would give you ears to hear how to do that. Others of you are here this morning and you've allowed a root of bitterness. Is this a really hard thing to diagnose in our lives? Because of course we're never the bitter people. Everybody else is bitter and we're not. But I'm praying this morning that the Holy Spirit would just reveal to us little roots of bitterness we've allowed to get in. You know how we know that? We know that about how we speak. So when we speak critically about people, when we are yes but people, do you know what I mean by that? Like, yes, everything's good, but we always have to have a little, 
but or a historical fact or that's usually a sign of a critical, a, a bitter spirit, a bitter root that's grown up in our heart. I'm praying all across this house today. This, this is an ongoing thing. So this is not something we feel like, oh, I'm the worst. I, I just want to like be honest before you. This is something we've got to deal with in our own lives on a day-to-day basis. God, don't let a bitter root in my, this part of my life grow up. I'm praying that God's going to do some just uh, spring gardening in our hearts. And some of us here, I, I think all of us, we just need to pray that God gives us an expansive view of who he is. Big eyes to see. Big ears to be able to hear him. I'm praying in my own life that I would have a new revelation of who God is. Because I'm not satisfied where he's taken me so far. I'm believing that he's going to take me further. I, I believe God can do the same thing for you. Eyes to see, ears to hear. Can we just stand up all across the room this morning? Pastor Roy already so beautifully led you uh, in how to become a Christian. But I, but I know it. in moments like this and in rooms like this, there are always people in the room that have not said, Jesus, I, I want you to be in my life. The truth is we're humans and we can't do this life alone. Well, we, I guess we can, but it, we're a hot mess. And Jesus comes to us and he says, I, I want to walk with you. I, I want to direct your ways now. And that's really the invitation of God. Jesus says, I, I want to come and take control. You don't have to be in control anymore. And so we give him control and walk the way that he wants us to walk. If that's you this morning, I, I just, I want to encourage you to just stretch your, stretch your heart out to God and say, Jesus, here I am. All across the room, I'm going to ask every person here, if you're comfortable, to just raise your hands. We're, we're going to begin to magnify the Lord. We're going to begin to bless God. I, I believe that something happens. I mean, you could do this in your room all by yourself, but there is something powerful that happens when we do this in a corporate setting. God's presence comes and manifests itself. I'm not sure why that is, but it's why God told us to gather together. So Jesus, I thank you that you are here. In this moment, in these moments, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you in a new way. Would you give us ears to hear you in a new way? Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give us fresh revelation of who you are. God, we're believing you for big things in these days. We thank you that you are in the miracle working business. God, I pray that you would uh, now just come and speak to us just in these moments. May we hear your voice. Father, I pray for those of us that are dealing with bitter roots right now. I pray that we just give you free reign in our lives. You can just say that to the Lord right now. We give you free reign to come and come and do any gardening on our hearts that you need to. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you're in this place. So as the worship team leads us, would you just uh, fix your eyes on Jesus?